Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to a very special uh, episode of Show Your Work. This is a bonus to season one. We will be starting season two in a couple weeks, in a few weeks. But this story. Well, I mean, I love that you call it a bonus episode. I'm like, is this like an emergency episode? <laughs> like, this is the the fire engine icon yes. of Show Your Work episodes. And I just want to say, because we pulled this together very quickly, um, the usual interruptions by the dogs may occur even more often because we not only have two dogs, uh, we actually have four in the house today. We are a four-dog podcast, <laughs> yes. Uh, but we really wanted to get to this and we didn't want to wait. So yeah, let's dive right into it. Harvey Weinstein. Okay. So here's my question to you. Uh, as a gossip expert and person who was around people all day, what is the question that you were asked the most? I was asked, well, primarily, what do you think is going to happen? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, what's next? What's he going to do? Um, and who else is going to speak out? That's really interesting. Okay. Because I think we obviously uh, are going to get there. Um, the question I was asked more than any other was, or the question I saw was, how does this happen? And so I feel like uh, we freewheel, we kind of improvise, but I feel like those are kind of good begins and endings for us. How does this happen? Uh, and of course, the it's corollary. Who knew and when did they know it? Uh, and what's going to happen now? Well, I loved your point that you were texting to me earlier about the critical mass, the piling up, the bunching up, mm -hmm. which is similar to what we saw with Bill Cosby. Mm -hmm. R. Kelly, who still has not been brought to justice, uh, Bill O'Reilly, I mean, on and on and on, right? Yeah. Which is not to say that women feel safer because those cases have come to light. It's no safer to talk about any given person just because there are stories about Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly and Bill Cosby and whatever other bill you want to throw in there. Um it's not safer, but yes, the critical mass of it's safer because I'm not the only one uh, is, is why it becomes relevant. And yet, at the same time, to your point, it's still not safer because even still, those circles don't overlap. Um, you gave the example of Gwyneth Paltrow, who revealed that you know she was harassed by Harvey Weinstein once, and then Brad Pitt, she told him she was dating him at the time and Brad Pitt confronted Harvey at a party or premiere or something. And you made the point, in Brad's mind, that was his girlfriend. That was his example. In the moment, as you said, we'll continue. 
Well, that it made me mad, actually, because uh, one of the things that we've been hearing all day is, why didn't these women speak out at the time? Why didn't they say what happened when it happened? Uh, and there are a number of reasons that we will get into and we'll discuss. But one of the things in that instance is that I think uh, Gwyneth may have said in her own words, or it was otherwise elucidated in that article, relatively, it wasn't that bad. It's only notable because she was, pardon my language, the property of Brad Pitt at the time, right? Like Harvey Weinstein doesn't give a shit about who anybody is. There were other questions about, well, isn't she Hollywood royalty? Would he really? And it's like, doesn't matter. Well, clearly it speaks to his power at that time, that even though she's the goddaughter of Steven Spielberg and the daughter of Bruce Paltrow, he was so powerful that he didn't give a shit. Right, but not so powerful that Brad Pitt, the most bankable movie star at that time, uh, that's what it takes to put a smack down. Brad Pitt yeah. is what it takes to let you let go of one person, Which one woman. Which is also why people are calling on the men to speak out. Because, I mean, to a certain extent, the women can speak out and that's awesome. Of course, we support them, but for this kind of power structure to be called out, the men need to confront the men. Well, which pisses me off. I don't want that to be the case. Uh, and we should just lay out where we are at press time. Uh, I walked in the door and said, what happened in the last 45 minutes that I missed? And there were updates. So in addition to everybody who's been, uh, who has sort of spoken up in uh, either The Hollywood Reporter or The New York Times or the initial New York Times article uh, a few days ago, what, most recently we heard that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio made a non-statement. Right, on Twitter. Georgina Chapman is, in fact, leaving Harvey Weinstein. And uh, I think that's most of it. Yep, at press time. I mean, this shit is literally changing every five minutes. And for what it's worth, we're on the East Coast the West Coast has three more hours of guilt and pressure to deal with. Uh, so maybe that's an interesting place to start. We got a note a couple of days ago asking how this happens. When are PR reps responsible to speak out for their talent? When do they not? What does it mean if somebody is silent? Well, listen, there are so many angles that we can take with this in terms of understanding how things work in Hollywood and how celebrities are protected, both from themselves and from us. Um, but I want to start, why not, with Rebecca Hall. So Rebecca Hall spoke today, and she's worked on a couple of Weinstein pictures. And uh, she said this, The truth is, there have been rumors circulating forever. I've known about them. I've certainly been quietly protected with re without really ever being told why. I certainly was never allowed near a meeting with him on my own and anything like that. In retrospect, I understand why, even if my representatives weren't explicitly telling me. I love that she has like really put this out there because... First of all, she has good reps in that sense who, you know, protected her and were like, okay, we want you for this project, but here's what we're going to do. But secondly, that is 100% true about many celebrities and the system that surrounds them, where they are treated often like children by their publicists, by their managers, and only told what they need to know 
in the moment. Yeah. And that is a function of the business as a whole. Once you are a bankable star at a certain rate, and I include in this uh, high-profile directors, certain producers, the odd screenwriter, uh, basically Lin-Manuel Miranda and nobody else. Yeah, you are a business. You are a brand. And so there are entire teams of people who tell you where to go and when. That's right. And that's all they tell you. That's right. So, you know, she had heard the rumors, but her people, who are the closest to her, were not telling her why. Um, And that is key to our, you know, discussion about who knew and when they knew and this and that and the other. 100% there were many, many people who knew, but it is conceivable that given hierarchies in Hollywood and certain levels of people and the protective bubble that surrounds them, it is very possible that their reps or Meryl Streep didn't know. Yeah, that's true. But I want to get to another place there too, because there are a few choruses going on here. Why didn't these women say things and protect other women? And also, oh, I blame the reps and PR people and uh, assistants and secretaries who were complicit. And to this I say, under what banner do you think these people exist that they weren't also victims? If Harvey Weinstein, who is obviously a serial abuser, a power-mad monster who is obviously indiscriminate in everybody that he chooses to exert his power over, what gives you the impression that the agents, the PR reps, the assistants aren't all also victims here? I'm not trying to absolve anybody, but I am trying to point out that this is by no means a famous people-only discussion. It's a famous people-only discussion because that's what makes it into the news, but all of the names that we don't know from all of those articles prove that this is a pattern of behavior that extends up and down. So I want people to think about that when they start wanting to lay blame. I understand the sentiment behind it, but let's let's think a little bit about who the people are in these structures. And it is really the structures that need to be interrogated. It's the structures that have been set up. A hundred percent. And I get it. I get why many of you have been emailing us, emailing me, saying, I still don't get it. How could you think that Meryl wouldn't know? How could you think that this person wouldn't know and wouldn't be able to speak up? But again, they operate within that structure in that system. Even someone who's won as many Oscars as Meryl Streep or whatnot. First of all, I mean, I genuinely believe that Meryl Streep didn't know. How, how is Meryl going to know? Well, what is she going to know? Here are the things. Like, little bits of information come out from different places. Uh, And there's a highly irritating interview with George Clooney that we will come back to. But he says, oh, yeah, did we know that he was a yeller and a screamer? Yes. So we know he's intimidating. But that's not the same thing. Do we know that he has a taste for young women, that he pursues young women? Yes, we know this. Are there many people that we know who fulfill both of those previous two categories? Like the whole town. Who are not necessarily abusers? The yes, whole town. by default. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That doesn't mean that they're not abusers. Uh, one of the points we'll get to is Harvey Weinstein is not the only one. But it does mean that it 
A plus B does not necessarily equal C. So you can know things and not know things. The other thing I wanted to talk about, let's let's uh, lay a few things out here. Uh, people are people and work is work, but some things about Hollywood work are different. To start with, I could not count the number of business meetings that I have had and conducted in a hotel room. You? Yeah, no, lots. It is not unusual to go to somebody's hotel room. It is not unusual to have a meeting in a hotel suite. And sometimes you walk in and it's a suite with like three living rooms. And sometimes it's a hotel room with a bed. Years ago, I uh, scheduled an interview with somebody in New York and scheduled it to be held at, at a hotel in New York. And I couldn't get a, like a conference room where I wanted to shoot it. And we shot it in the bedroom. And it was me and a stranger and another strange camera person. And that woman didn't blink. And I didn't blink. And that was how it was. Is that okay? Maybe it's not so cool. But it is a standard way of doing business. Yes. Like, I mean, a press junket happens in a hotel room. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Like an entire floor of hotel rooms is usually where a press junket happens. And those same stars who are at that press junket are staying upstairs in the hotel and so are the interviewers. Or at least they're getting ready there, right? Right. The junket starts at 10 o'clock, they're there by 8 o'clock, the hair and makeup starts at 8 o'clock and then they come down two floors or go up two floors where the junket rooms are. Right, exactly. A lot of Hollywood business happens in hotel rooms. Not the way Harvey Weinstein does it. No, uh, no, and that, but that's the thing. You don't automatically have your hackles go up because you yeah. are going to somebody's hotel room or even to their home. Yes. Like, you know, when someone says, meet me at the peninsula, that your hackles don't go up when you're told a meeting is at the peninsula. The hackles begin to go up when maybe he's not in the lobby. But even if you're going up into the elevator, again, it could be a junket room. I've had a lot of super above board business meetings in suite 302 or 405 or whatever it is. Sure. The next thing uh, is, as we talked about, you know, some agents and managers uh, may have been complicit. They may have turned a blind eye. I think we have to believe that some absolutely did, but not all of them. One of the most interesting details about the Gwyneth Paltrow story to me is that the address that she was sent to, Harvey Weinstein's home, came on CAA letterhead. It also tells you how uh, long ago that story yeah. was because it came on letterhead. Yeah. Uh, I don't care who you are. If you're CAA, the biggest agency in Hollywood, you are not knowingly, officially sending your actress into the den of an abuser on purpose. On uh, Not on letterhead, no. Exactly. Yeah. Somebody, many people, believe that is above board. Yes. Maybe they didn't hear the stories. Maybe there were other people who had meetings and nothing came of it. Maybe a million things. But if you thought, even if you're kind of a devious agent who thinks, well, if she wants to do it, let's see what she wants to do. Uh, And, you know, we'll get to consensual relationships later on. You're not putting it on letterhead, please attend this meeting, client, as we have asked you to. No. There's a difference between people who've heard whispers and people who've knowingly, like, led the lamb into the lion's den. Agreed. Right? Yeah. So the outrage 
that is happening right now, I, you know, I understand it, but it's not like, it's not like every single agent and every single publicist was like, <laughs> I'm going to send young Emma fresh off the bus from Oklahoma trying to make it in LA over to Harvey's hotel. Absolutely not. And even if some of them suspect, you know, the stories in isolation boiled down. We have all the details and we have all the back and forth and what happened and who went to whose apartment when. But the stories boiled down can be, how was your meeting last night with Harvey? Oh, we had a couple drinks. Then it got kind of weird and I left. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. If Harvey Weinstein calls the next day and issues you flowers, even if you're not fine, I don't know a lot of people who would have probed the story then. Then. And let's be clear. This is not absolution. This is us given what we know in working in and around Hollywood and covering people who work in Hollywood, our knowledge of how the business functions. Yes, absolutely. This is, so we're just doing this on background. We're giving you the picture on background of what like the last 20 years looks like from letterhead to emails. I hesitate to use an example of a quote unquote good person because God knows our heroes are falling far and fast. But I would say, for example, that Steven Spielberg has held a whole lot of meetings in his homes, in hotel suites, in hotel bars, whatever. The stories are not rolling out about that person today yet, please God. This is not a slander of Steven Spielberg. I do not know any of these stories and I do not Well, it goes beyond Steven Spielberg. It's a standard thing. If you've watched any superstar or celebrity documentary, the most recent one I can think of is The Defiant Ones, which is a documentary about Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. Um, half their meetings and they're on the board of Apple or doing something and inviting like technicians over to help them develop new head headgear, I don't know, like headphones, software. It's in their living rooms. Like they, in Hollywood, you invite people who you're not close with over to your house for meetings all the time. We should point out that I am reclined in your living room as we speak. <laughs> yes. But again, this is just background. This is just like what we're saying, laying the ground, laying the setting for you to understand what it's like in Hollywood and how it is different, how sometimes you can't necessarily, even though we talk about work and how it's transferable in terms of themes from Hollywood to boardrooms in other industries, this is an area where Hollywood does have its specific difference. Culture or reasons why certain rules don't apply. Uh, let's dispense with point number two right now. Uh, I would be hard-pressed to name a Hollywood company off the top of my head that has a human resources department, uh, especially these smaller vanity companies that you're thinking of. Like when you get to be uh, NBC, yes, of course. But if you're talking about like, oh, I don't know, like a, a, a Reese Witherspoon production company or a... I don't know, one that belongs to a Mindy Kaling or a whomever. Sure. Like, does Goop have uh, human resources? I don't know. And if yeah. they do, are they mostly about finding the right person for the right tone as opposed to dealing with harassment claims? This is not really a thing. Then add in, like, lots of people in this business are married, and that's not a weird thing the way it can be in other businesses. 
and add in everybody shifts jobs every three months. It's a whole new thing. And you might be rid of the person who's bothering you. And God, I don't know, gobs and gobs of money. And you begin to sort of see the why. Why could this happen? And add on to it that a lot of people, especially, I mean, those who are in front of the camera, their jobs sometimes only last four weeks. Exactly. Yes. And after those four weeks, the next job sometimes isn't for another two years. Absolutely. Or certainly you might not run into the same person again right. for eight years. So your workplace is not a consistent nine to five where you can be like, hey, I have people I see every day who know me that I can go into their office and let them know, hey, sit down with them. Here are my concerns. How can we address them? That's a really good point. If something untoward happens at a rap party, for example, which is the bacchanal that happens at the end of a production, the next day, everybody goes off to a new job. There's nobody to talk to. And if you did, they would most likely say, okay, I'm really sorry. What, what, what do you need? Because they're not going to be called on the carpet, whoever they are. So how do you build consensus and how do you, in that kind of work environment where it's uh, sometimes temporary, where it doesn't last long, where it's sometimes not even the same location, your workplace one month can be Atlanta, Georgia, and the next month can be Los Angeles, and the next month can be Toronto. How do you build community and cohesion um, when things like that come up. And why should you? You know, if it was Atlanta and then, uh, where did you say? LA and then Toronto. Yeah. Um, that bad experience, which again, I read over and over again, people feeling like my bad experience wasn't that bad. Uh, it's three jobs behind you. It's not until there is this kind of maximum density that you go, oh yeah, I have something to add there. I have my words have value. My story has value. It's a difficult prospect. I don't know the answer. My Among one of the bajillion conversations I had about this today, I was pointing out that, again, my drama I'm beating, Harvey Weinstein is not the only one. Harvey Weinstein is just the most famous one. If this was happening in uh, the biggest industry in Minneapolis, and I'm sure it is, it's not newsworthy. This is newsworthy because of all the famous decorated people who are involved. Yeah. This is because he's a kingmaker. Yes. And he's elevated so many people. So it is a big story by association. And that's why, I mean, for the last three days, everybody has been obsessively going down a list of names saying, we haven't heard from this person yet. We haven't heard from this person yet. We haven't heard from this person yet. Which is not a helpful witch hunt. Can we just say this? Of course, we want it. You started off saying, where are the men? And I have two feelings about that, and we'll come back to that. But there are people who may not feel safe calling things out. There are people who, I don't know, whose paychecks they feel may still be reliant on the upswing of fortunes in Harvey Weinstein, which... That ship may have sailed 12 hours ago, guys. Well, I, I, under, I, yeah, I get that. And then I, at the same time, I understand for people who are reading out there and 
they're in a non-Hollywood industry and they say to themselves, well, I just, you know, I'm working, I'm a middle-class person, I'm trying to get my benefits. These are very wealthy people and they have access and they have way more power than I do. I get that. Like, I mean, I get all of your emails when you're like, I just don't understand. These people are so powerful. They could have said something. Our point right now is it's all relative to where you are. Well, and now we come back to you mentioning Rebecca Hall. Like, show of hands, privately listening to the podcast, how many of you immediately knew who we're talking about? Not as many as know a Rose McGowan or a Gwyneth Paltrow or an Angelina Jolie. Rebecca Hall is not a super, super famous name. A lot of the accusers who have come out and named themselves are not super famous names. And that's the corollary. Or they're past their prime, I'm sad to say. Like, you mean like a Rosanna Arquette? Correct. Sure, but those stories go back 25, 30 years. That's right, but we're not talking about them like 25 years ago. We're talking about them now. Like, you're not, you know, the point is, is that right now, so much time has passed, what they have to lose is arguably a lot less. Oh, yes, for sure. But I guess the the twin side of that is that there can be, you know, the kingmaker, as you say, like, God forgive me for sounding like I'm praising him, but I mean, I guess the deal works in some cases. There are people who do become legitimate celebrities. Uh, there are people who smile beside him, even if they're not uh, engaging in any sort of uh, trade deals for their own stardom, who rise by association. And then sometimes there are those who don't. And I'm sure they must kind of wonder, is that why? Because I said no? Because I was angry? Because I was frustrated? That's what Mira Servino, for example, is saying in The New Yorker, that she said no and, you know, she won her Oscar, but subsequently she felt like she was she was not getting roles. I believe that 100%. You know, uh, I am somebody who, I have representation. I have an agent. It is not the same thing as Hollywood, but that's a thing. And one thing that all agents will ask you, especially if you're not a real newbie to the business, is they will say, okay, when you're, when you're thinking about doing business together, they will say, who loves you? Who hates you? What's your story? They want to know what your reputation is. They want to know if you are forthcoming about it. They want to know who and how you are around town. Okay, so two weeks ago, if someone had asked someone who likes you and who hates you and your answer to who hates you is Harvey Weinstein, does this person get the representation? My point, especially if you're Mira Sorvino. Yeah, on the one hand, she, you know, she won her Oscar and Romeo and Michelle. On the other hand, Weinstein won't touch her with a 10-foot pole and that means Ben Silverman and that means whomever else and, you know, so on and so on and so forth. And so I guess coming back around to that word complicit and how the system and the structure is set up, while there are representatives and agents and players in the business who may not have been like, wahaha, like I'm delivering the lamb to the lion, that is actually how they contribute to the structure. Because if they don't take on that person as a client, oh, the answer to your question, who hates you is Harvey Weinstein, hmm. I might not make that much money off you. Exactly. Why am yeah. I going to spend that much effort and time yes. as opposed to somebody who is 
a darling who does fine. So there's your like, so there is where you, if we want to talk about the, I keep going back to the system because, you know, this is what we are interrogating, the workplace and how it's all set up like this. These are the habits that when compounded over and over again, over a series of hundreds and hundreds of decisions contribute to um, securing and maintaining the power of certain individuals. You might say it's systemic. That's right. And again, it doesn't have to be so blatant. It doesn't have to be, I'm your agent, get in my car and I'll drive you to that hotel. Or it's a decision that actually gets made that seems to have no connection, but it's whether or not you take this person as a client. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and it's whether or not if you feel, you know, we talk a lot about, people love to talk about like the Gavin De Becker, the gift of fear and all those sort of things about alarm bells going off. But if you've been working, say, for five years and you've taken roughly 75 meetings in hotel rooms and nothing untoward has happened uh, and it's all very fine or at least stays on this side of the line you don't necessarily go into that situation with all of your hackles raised. You know, I'm I'm reminded of the Liz Merriweather article that you linked to today, uh, yesterday. Liz Merriweather, of course, is the creator of The New Girl and talks about a meeting that she had in a hotel suite where at the very end of a very normal meeting, a producer grabbed her and made her look in the mirror and said, do you know how beautiful you are? Full stop. That's the whole story. You can see why it's weird, why it felt weird for her, and also why it's not necessarily the kind of story that on its own you tell. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, okay, so we've laid a real healthy groundwork for why, for how. Do you think we sound defensive? I think that there will be some people out there who are like, wow, you are, um, and we got some of that feedback today, you are defending celebrities and you are um, protecting Hollywood. I mean, I don't think it's that different from other environments. A friend of mine tweeted today that there are so many jobs or shows, or families where the culture is, don't tell, just protect yourself. Between ourselves, we will whisper among each other and try to keep each other safe, but you don't tell. I don't think this is that different. There are elements of it that make it a little bit different and a little bit newsworthy, and that's why we're discussing it. But I think actually the problem is not that it's so different, but that it's so similar. Yeah, I you know, I while Harvey Weinstein is like horrible, abhorrent, I don't know that Harvey Weinstein is the big bad. 
the big bad is something much bigger. He's not the only one, first of all. And yes, the the big bad is that two weeks ago, as you put it, Harvey Weinstein was on top of the world and there were a million others who wanted to be just like him. Well, it's not, he was on top of the world in a sense, but he wasn't at the very top of where he's been. You know, he has been much higher before. I have said repeatedly that I don't think this happens in 2004. I don't think he's touchable um, in 2004, 2005. Harvey Weinstein has not had a hit in a while. And we know what people say in this business is you don't have a recent hit. Well, you're not that powerful. So if this had happened in 2004, we wouldn't know about it. Or like if this had been attempted in 2004, 2005, we wouldn't know about it. So what is interesting too is that Harvey Weinstein did not have all of his powers that he used to have. So in that brief moment of vulnerability, if we even want to use that word, he was taken down. Could this happen to somebody who's at the very, very, very top? Well, you know, who could that person be? Uh, or I, I think the the Pollyanna answer lies in the kind of silver lining that while Harvey Weinstein is not as powerful as he once was, uh, Angelina Jolie and Gwyneth Paltrow and even Ashley Judd and Mira Sofino and so forth are more powerful than they have ever been. From, yes. They have louder voices than they ever have had. Correct. If these same victims that we know about had spoken up in 2004, it would have been easier to dismiss them. But they are women who have had successes in their own right. They are women who have not otherwise been tarnished with other uh, associations who, uh, you know, for whom this was the, the hill to die on, if you will. And yet, as powerful as you say that they have been over the last 24 hours, they're still telling their stories only after something much more powerful took the lead, which is the New York Times. Like, a dinky little newspaper in a small town was never going to break this story. Yeah, George Clooney. <laughs> um, you know, a small or moderately sized blog. Variety couldn't even have broken this story. You needed the New York Times. And even then, it took so much time. That's right. So when we talk about power, we talk about who can challenge it and who has it. So when you have someone like Harvey Weinstein, whose power has been slightly diminished, even still, you needed the might and the prestige and the influence and all the lawyers of the New York Times to mount a story like this. That's scary to me, frankly. It means that if you're going to take down a power structure or if you're going to expose the abuse of power in, an, in a powerful individual, you're not going to get it done at the grassroots level. Because nothing happens. May I hearken back years and years and decades ago, and by that I mean three weeks ago, to when Amber Tamblin called out James Woods for uh, preying on herself as a 16-year-old girl. And then she brought the receipts and hundreds of people joined her and said, it happened to me too. Did anything happen? 
No, nothing no. happened. James Woods is not a powerful figure, but he's exactly as powerful today as he was a month ago. But as to go back to the point of the relativity of power, you know, the New York Times provided that shield once they published their story, then Gwyneth Paltrow, then Angelina Jolie, then everybody else. You know, power is relative. When we sit back and we're like, well, I'm in my small town or I'm working my, you know, blue collar job. Um, why can't these people, they're rich, they're beautiful, they have access. Well, even they wanted the protection or at least wanted to come under that umbrella. Because here's why. Think about yourself in any given situation. Think about how this would come to pass. Who would you tell? Who would you tell? First of all, uh, often if you're in this position, it looks like a position of privilege. Oh, I'm in, you know, I'm with the boss. I'm with the kingmaker. I'm with whoever. I'm the with the head of the regional sales manager. Uh, there's a position of privilege there. So you a little bit walked into it, brought it on yourself, you name it. And then who are you going to tell? Who can you commiserate with? Hey, has this ever happened to you? No, never happened to me. Well, there you go. Now you are more vulnerable. You've told your secret and there's nobody to find. This is the biggest question. You asked earlier, how do we find this community? How do we find all these voices that we know are there? It's the answer, so to speak, is like, well, be brave and speak up. But that's a really, really high mountain to climb. I, it's a burden to shoulder first. It's a, okay, I'll be the first. I'll put this on my shoulders and I'll go forward. I'll tell you right now, like, I don't know if I would. You wouldn't say anything. Here are the things that are working against me. I'm a gossip columnist, mm -hmm. an entertainment reporter. Yeah, you want a good story. I want a good story. Who's going to believe me? Sure. Of course. And the problem with that, though, is that those are your specific circumstances, but they're not unique. Every woman, every person has so many things that could discredit them. Once upon a time, there was somebody who was incredibly inappropriate with me. And I, in shock, uh, turned around and told my boss, who thankfully, gratefully, uh, was like, this is bullshit, and had him fired. Had it gone the other way, had he not believed me, they would have said, her, she's super flighty. She dated somebody around here not too long ago and everybody knows about it. She's always talking about whatever she's always talking about, running her mouth all the time. Every woman, every person has all these reasons why they might not be believed, why it's not a good story. The other thing I have to say that I said to somebody today is when people say, well, why didn't they tell, especially with the, the smaller less flashy stories that give that resonance of, of truth. I said, because if women told every story that happened to them all day, we'd never fucking shut up about it. That's all you would talk about. Here's where somebody was inappropriate today. Here's a dick move that somebody pulled. Here's a thing that somebody said. Sometimes I think there are many women, especially in male dominated industries, hit us up women in finance where they let things go. 
They don't raise their eyebrows at every off-color joke, at every inappropriate thing, because it gets exhausting, especially if you are, uh, as Shonda Rhimes would say, the FOD, the first, only, different, if you're the only one there. But it's also a normalization. Earlier, you brought up George Clooney and the interview he did with the Daily Beast, and he was like, oh, yeah, well, like, number one, you know, in Hollywood, it's not unusual to see an older, lecherous guy hook up or hit on a younger woman. Totally normal. You know? <laughs> like, way to be part of the problem, George. Yeah. And, and so I think here is where I will call the George Clooney's and the even the Meryl Streep's out on it and all the celebrities who are um all the celebrities who are cocooned in their own specialness in their own worlds is when you find that normal and you block the ability from those on the outside to say hey fuck you it's not normal you can't be shutting those voices down either, George Clooney. Or you can't be saying, hey, why aren't you out there calling it not normal? I am, uh, this is as bad as anything else because I'm so heartbroken over the atrocious interview that George Clooney gave. Among the things that he says, uh, he says maybe if it were happening out in public, he would say something. So now the onus is on the victim to somehow make this happen in public. Sure. Let's let's put that power on the 23-year-old waitress model who is in this situation. Uh, he blames uh, a reporter whose story was uh, allegedly quashed at the New York Times for then not publishing it in her own much smaller publication because everybody's got the legal fees for that. Again, as you say, if this weren't the New York Times, this would have been squashed under eight million lawsuits. That was also Meryl's point. If everyone knew about it, then certainly the entertainment outlets and the hard news outlets would have been able to pursue this and uh, blow this wide open. Well, no, Meryl, thank you. But also, it's a really, it's a little bit rich for you guys to be like, hey, uh, news people pry into our Hollywood circles and the Hollywood workings. But at the same time, no comment, don't ask about this. Don't ask about that. Like you and I have both been in situations where we have been um, reporters trying to do our job and we've been given instructions before the celebrity even arrives. You can't talk about this. You can't ask about this. They don't want to talk about that. Every time. Every time. So on one side of your mouth, all of them, not just George and Merrill, you're like, oh, hey, news and entertainment journalists, you could have looked into this. You could have looked into this. And on the other side of your mouth, you're like, but don't ask me about that. Do you remember last year, Nate Parker? Of course. So at the time, Birth of a Nation comes out, right? And he's promoting it at all the festivals. It is the only story around Birth of a Nation and Nate Parker. It, like, that, the, the rape allegations and the subsequent suicide of his alleged victim. And in the junket and in the press opportunities, the studio's instructions were, do not ask about that. So you have developed and constructed and maintained a system where you get to cherry pick what you want to talk to us about and you hold it over the media. 
oh, well, no, Lainey, maybe not you, but maybe maybe Barbara Walters could ask, or maybe Oprah could ask, or maybe but yeah. all of these people who are close enough to be asking are, of course, part of the system in too. that world too. So that is where I definitely, if you want to talk about complicity, if you want to talk about how nothing changes unless they themselves examine the ecosystem that they profit from. That is one area where I would say, hey, celebrities, you know, for all of you standing back and being like, this is so horrible and great, I'm glad you find it horrible. But at the same time, there has been a level of protection that was afforded to Harvey Weinstein that is also afforded to you. And now we come back to the men because there have been many, many voices calling out, where are the men here? As woman after woman says, oh yeah, this did happen, or I was warned away and so it didn't happen. And people then blamed those people. There was a bit of a witch hunt for Jessica Chastain this morning as though it's her fault People say, where are the men who are saying, this is a problem? And, you know, I have two really conflicted minds about this. Because on the one hand, yeah, if I'm whomever, where the fuck are my coworkers? Uh, Rose McGowan uh, recently, as in hours ago, uh, called out Ben Affleck uh, for saying he didn't know. That she's very specific about how and when he knew. And so on the one hand, it's like, yeah, where are my coworkers? On the other hand, I so resent the, the construct that only a man can stop another man, that it's fine to deal with women in any old way that you want to, unless another man says it's wrong and then you have to stop. And you know what? We have to consider all the reporting and the rumors about how this broke in the first place. The New York Times came first with the story, but we've been hearing about Bob Weinstein's involvement. Uh, Bob Weinstein is Harvey Weinstein's brother who founded Miramax and subsequently the Weinstein Company with him. And there are people who are suggesting that there was a power struggle at the top and that Bob, in knowing all of these things about Harvey, was sick and tired, number one, of his brother, and saw an opportunity to seize power. What is this? Cain and Abel, right? And threw him under the bus and uh, certainly made it easier for certain allegations to come to light. And so if that is the case, what's discouraging for me, the way I see it, is You only have a takedown of a powerful individual like this when another power, when another powerful individual with an ulterior motive is around to seize power and to knock him off. I don't think that's a win for the good side. Well, let me just paraphrase you. You mean you only knock down a powerful man with another powerful man. So it's not really about altruism at all. Well, I don't, uh, if these reports are true, and for many years it has been acknowledged that Bob and Harvey don't get along and that there was intense competition there, it would mean that 
the ability for all these women to come forward and the New York Times having reported this and going behind the shield of the New York Times, it could have only happened not because someone wanted to protect women and crusade for the rights of women in the workplace. It happened because one dude wanted to replace another dude at the top of the mountain. So all this social justice is happening for his stock options. That'll give you some warm fuzzies. I, I totally know that that's what you were bumping up against earlier when we had started this. And I, I, to- I get it. I, I don't think that that's right either, right? That like it only is uh, – It's only concerning to me if a man is concerned about it. That's right. Right? And that they are the ones who lend the legitimacy to what is, until then, just so much carpet. But I do think, and I think this is also what you were getting at, that it is important that the the voices cannot just be female voices. No, because it can't be just 50% of the population. Right. But it's happening only to women, or not only to women, uh, a a really fascinating moment today. I don't even know how to describe what today was, but a really fascinating moment was uh, a, a tweet thread by Terry Crews. Uh, he's on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but of course uh, famous for Everybody Hates Chris, if you ask me. Uh, and Terry Crews talks about uh, he was openly groped, molested, uh, assaulted, essentially, at a Hollywood party. And he goes through in a very mechanical fashion why he didn't say anything. And he talks about, well, what would it have been? Uh, black man slugs Hollywood honcho. That would have been the headline. And would he have lost everything? Of course he would. As he says, I would have never read the news story because I would have been in jail. And he very clearly goes through you know, did I want to give up my career for this? No. Did it bother me? Yes. Is it worth losing everything over? I guess not. So I want to be clear that it's not just women that it is happening to, but the other side of it is it's just white men whose voices are being seen as important enough to stop it. That if there had been stronger condemnations from Clooney, from Leonardo DiCaprio, from Brad Pitt, Uh, that this would have gone away quicker, faster, quieter, which that's a hard one. That's a hard pill to swallow. Should we get to some emails that will take us to the places we need to finish? We got some emails? Yeah. Let's do it. We got lots of emails. Here's one from Samira. Lainey and Duanna, how many of the women, in brackets Jennifer Lawrence, who claim they never knew, actually gave in to Harvey's advances and are now ashamed to admit this in light of recent allegations? Truly curious. Uh, I mean, I, I, Samira, you've been reading a long time. I, I'm a little uncomfortable with the way this is worded. Um, but I think that, you know, Jennifer Lawrence has come out and said, this has not been my experience, but I stand with the women and I denounce Harvey Weinstein's, uh, behavior and grossness. And Jennifer Lawrence is uh, part of a subset of women. Uh, Jessica Chastain is another who, uh, you know, publicly worked with Harvey Weinstein, posed with him, uh, certainly carried on a professional relationship. And so the question uh, comes up again about, you know, 
did people know or were they exposed to it? In the case of a Jennifer Lawrence, uh, I do feel like there is an exception for somebody who launched onto the scene as an outspoken, no-holds-barred, say-anything, reveal-your-role-on-the-red-carpet kind of loose cannon when she was only a teenager. Jennifer Lawrence is many, many things, but she kind of sprang from the head of Zeus, kind of fully formed as a brassy, ballsy, whatever. I don't know anything about any situations that may have been, but I wonder if she's not worth the risk. If you are a predator, I wonder if there are easier targets than this loudmouth to whom nothing seems to stick. But I also want to, like, I mean, if that scenario is true, I don't know that we need to be, like, insisting that people share their experience either. Well, no, of course, because, again, what is there to say? If the experience is, and I'm not speaking for any one person here, but suppose any given person's experience is, yeah, I worked with that person. Yeah, I found them kind of creepy. No, I never found myself alone with them. That's a non-story. That's a non, that's not a thing that we talk about. Uh, and again, I feel really strongly that I want to mention uh, a, a statement from Minnie Driver, who gave a statement to Variety that basically said, while I was not subject to these attentions from Harvey Weinstein and never suffered this from Harvey Weinstein, I stand with women who uh, have suffered abuses from men in power. So just because it didn't happen in this particular configuration with these config particular people, that doesn't mean that they're overall immune either. And as you say, not everybody needs to, not everybody needs to prove to us that they have their stamp on, I rode this ride. Um, here's one from Lisa. Uh, so Lisa asks, um, don't you think the competition between the New Yorker and the New York Times over this story would make a great article? The rush to print the story first would undoubtedly make a great story in and of itself. So what do you think of that? The, the sort of today, especially the New York Times and the New Yorker were back and forth and it was like, oh my God, like, you know, the New Yorker dropped its story. I think an hour later, the New York Times came with Gwyneth Paltrow and Angelina Jolie. And I, I think there were eight women um, named with portraits and their stories. So um, is this a competition? Do you see it as a competition? Is this even, like, is this even worth discussing? I mean, respect to the, to the letter and the question, because I think that's interesting, uh, but it's so funny because I never, I didn't get that impression today at all in terms of competition or we have the scoop before they do. Uh, I am not enough of a journalistic scholar to know what are the signs when journalists sort of drop their guard and work together. But this seems like one of those situations. This seems like one of those situations where people are sharing info and passing corroborators back and forth. Uh, and confirming is my Jane Doe the same Jane Doe as your Jane Doe and so forth. Uh, so it might be a real happy hand holy story of how we all work together to bring down a monster. Yeah, and I don't, I, I mean, I'm not sure, we don't know yet, uh, Jody Cantor and uh, Megan Tui, 
Is that how you pronounce it? Um, they did a great podcast for the New York Times in talking about their work process in putting together the story and how long it took and the resistance that they faced. Um, and of course, the Times got to it first, if it, if it is a race. But the Times and the New Yorker occupy different spaces. Um, you know, the Ronan Farrow article for the New Yorker was long. Uh, it was pages upon pages. And um, detailed. And detailed and context and there's a little bit of flair there with the writing, right? Like it is the New Yorker. Whereas the New York Times is boom, boom, boom. Fact, date, here, name. Fact, date, here, name. And I should say the New Yorker article uh, had something – or pardon me. And I should say uh, the Times article had something that the New Yorker article did not. Every At the end of every paragraph, there was a sentence that said, this was corroborated by her mother when she told her that story. Or this was corroborated by her best friend who she called three months later. There is a sense of proof and of uh, reporting due diligence, which is not quite the same thing as, uh, I guess, sort of a, a color story. Yeah, I think it's there in the New Yorker piece too in terms of how it's sourced, but it's not as blatant. Like, as you said, um, in the New York Times, that line stands out at the end of every paragraph. This was So that is their style. So I don't think the Times and the New Yorker off, occupy the same space, and I, I don't know that it was a race to scoop. Both stories and both the reporting from both publications um, stand alone in its own way, and they're getting equal shine, if you will. Um, and they're great companion pieces to each other. Um, the, for example, Asia Argento's story, as she told Ronan Farrow, would not be represented in that way in the New York Times. That's not the Times' style, where she talked about her feelings, where he describes her, the expression on her face. You felt like you were there with her. That's right. That's not how the Times does their reporting. It's not their style. So you, you taken together, they're actually quite complementary to your point, Duanna, about whether or not they're working together. And I think that it was a great, in retrospect, it was probably the most complete delivery of this story that we could have hoped for because you have the Times and their fact-checking and their staccato fact-delivery um, accompanied, really, by the New Yorker's style of giving sort of the more humanistic portrait of what, what this is. You need both yeah. in order for this story to dominate the way it has been dominating. Yeah. You need both the hard facts for people who process things that way and the almost sensory immersion. Yeah. Uh, for people who process things that way. And together, they are pretty unimpeachable. Um, here's one from Emily. This is a good one. Um, I keep thinking about the actors that won't come forward, the ones that were still coerced but maybe resigned themselves to it to get the coveted role. I keep thinking how their stories would add to the other voices, but they'll never come forward because they'd be looked at differently. And I, I really am happy that this email was sent because – I think what's complicated in this Harvey Weinstein situation is you have instances of black and white blatant harassment, rape, assault. And then you have instances like Asia Argento who said herself, I'm still struggling because 
after the first time, there were times when I went to him and the sex was, in her words in The New Yorker, consensual. Mm-hmm. And it was only later that she realized that it was coercion and it was a power imbalance. But by the letter of the law or whatever, those other times where she was in what she calls a sexual relationship with him, it's harder to pin down. Right. And this is why uh, the conversation about rape and assault that we have with uh, young people on college campuses is about consent every time that uh, prior consent does not imply it going forward, that each new time is a new thing. It's kind of that story in reverse. Yes. But it's also complicated, of course. To Emily's point, you know, I I hear it, and yet I hope that's not the case. Uh, I hope that Anybody who's listening to this or who has been in a similar situation or who says, yeah, but I'm different because I didn't run away. There isn't a recording of me running out of the room, uh, you know, or protesting or whatnot that I don't have the defense. I really hope that it's clear that we know, we get it. It's it's the same thing. No matter what the end result is. What's so striking about all the stories coming out today is that they all read the same way, right? After uh, an hour or so of normal work, he disappears, comes back in a bathrobe. Sometimes it's open, sometimes it's not. A massage always comes up. It's the same fucking pattern. Whatever happens after that is, that's just the, the, almost the, it's almost less Important, And I say that not to minimize anybody's experience. What we're talking about here is a systemic predator and to count yourself among the people who has dealt with a systemic predator in whatever way, whatever the result, means that you had experiences in kind. And I think that any woman can understand that. Any woman and many, many men can understand what it's like to be there. On a more um, direct note, though, about Harvey Weinstein, uh, Tina Brown has uh, revealed her working relationship with Harvey Weinstein, giving insight into how he works and how he manages his relationships, his enemies, his vendettas, and his grudges. So if you read the Tina Brown piece, she, she says that he spends a lot of time looking into what his competitors are saying about him and that he had a system by which he would drop bits of information to media outlets to either discredit the people who were criticizing him. He would hold pieces of information and um, hold them over people. This is a very manipulative person. And so for those people who don't want to come forward, number one, everything that you just said, Duanna, about how they might be judged, how they might be seen, who might interpret their actions. On the other hand, one of um, the big questions right now about this Harvey Weinstein situation is, what's he going to do? The word, the gossip is that he's trying to get into rehab. And he wants a second chance. He asked for a second chance in his letter to all those CEOs. 
Now, apparently, he's going to go to rehab and get help and come back and see if he can launch a comeback. This is somebody who's not going to give up. He's already shown himself to be vindictive and very vengeful. And he's been in the business a long time, and the way he plays the business, it's dirty. So he's got leverage on a lot of people, is what I'm trying to say. And there may be people who don't want to speak out because they've got some skeletons of their own. Right. You think there's a resurrection coming? I don't know. Like, or that they're guarding against that. You can't tell me that the open secret of Harvey being a predator isn't matched by Harvey having secrets of his own about lots of other bold-faced names. And that this may have been a way that he got to control the narrative for so long. Right. Because, to your point, somebody who is that kind of a power player in the worst sense of the term collects that kind of information. That's right. To use to his advantage. So this is like the, the ramifications of this story go much, much deeper than where we've already scratched. It depends on how this rolls out. If Harvey Weinstein finds himself to be in such a position of desperation where he's backed into a corner and there's nothing else for him to do, the doors have closed, they won't let him back in. Which I think is a real possibility. Like right now, he's going to be box office poison. There is nobody uh, that you can find on the street who would find something to defend. That's right. So they've closed the doors to him, at least now. And he can't get back in. Is he the kind of person to skulk away quietly? Or will he say, you won't let me back in? Well, fuck you. Here's a match and I'm just going to set everything on fire. I mean, I know there are skilled ways to do that. But I think in order to do that, it's got to be maximum density uh, in order to make it hurt. Uh, Otherwise, it's just so much pettiness. And while I fully believe there's pettiness... Uh, I don't know how much of an impact it can make. I, I, look, if we've learned anything over the last however many years, it's that people keep receipts. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure he's keeping, like, a big stack of them. So that's one half of the answer to what's going to happen. That's where we started. That's what you said if people had asked you. The other question is, what's going to happen? We talked about this systemic uh, environment where these kinds of things happen. We talked about male stars turning a blind eye or not speaking up or whether or not they need to. We talked about the culture of women kind of whispering among themselves to protect each other. Now we're here. There's a great statement from Ryan Coogler. Uh, who says, among other things, I love working as a storyteller, but I work in an industry that too many times has proven to not be a safe space for women. I make it a priority to ensure there's gender equity in an inclusive work environment on every project I'm involved with. However, just minding our business isn't enough. Is there more to be done? And what do we think it looks like? Well, I, I think I love that statement because like, what he did there was there was a sense of accountability there. I All I've been doing is minding my business, which is what a lot of us do, right? That is the complicitness 
Of course. Don't rock the boat. Yeah. Because I'm just going to mind my own business. I'm going to just do my own thing over here. Whatever. Maybe she's fine. Maybe yeah. it's fine. It's okay. I'm just going to put my head down. I'm going to put in my nine to five and I'm, I'm out of here. I can't, you know, I, whatever. Like, Well, and because, again, you need to be in a position of power to make noise about things. And, you know, I'd like to believe that we all do when we can. When I am in a position of power, I make a lot more noises about a lot more things than I do if I'm in a position where I'm the lowest on the totem pole. Yeah. So who is the onus on now? What is the new mandate? I want to believe that there is a world in which everybody is checking with everybody. Are you okay? Is that all right? But it starts to feel like, you know, like high schoolers joking about consent, right? About like, is, are you feeling safe? Is that fine? Undoing this sort of Afghan of patriarchy that we're finding ourselves wrapped in is really, really complicated. And it's all, the easiest answer is always, well, it starts at the grassroots level and support each other and support your friends. And, but man, that's hard. What you're asking a lot of people to do, men and women, is be the first. Put yourself out there on the sword. Like, be the one who takes it for the team and maybe the team comes behind you. Rose McGowan. <laughs> I think that's where we're at is Rose McGowan. I'm not Rose McGowan, but my God, like, there have to be, there have to be more Rose McGowans. Are there? Yeah, there are. And they are training to be the Rose McGowans in their own situations, as are you, as am I, that when it matters, you yell, you raise your voice when it's time. It's that balance of what happens in the meantime that is the bigger question. I think that's the optimistic point of view. I I think on the blog, uh, my posts have been probably veering to the more cynical. Um, but listen, I think that you need both. Yeah, I got to be optimistic. I have to believe that we can fix something. Um for so, so, so many reasons, but not least because I love this business. I love what we do. I love storytelling too. I want this to be a place that is not fundamentally toxic for an, you know, entire genders or races or ethnicities of people. We're not there yet. I have to believe that because it's where it is, that it has to get better because there's nowhere to go but up. And on that note, that is our special Harvey Weinstein bonus season one episode of Show Your Work. I mean, uh, we showed somebody's work. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it's amazing to me that this is what got us here, but it was good to be back here behind the mic with you. And we will be back for season two very soon. We will announce the date soon. Um, but thanks for your patience and thanks for all your notes about when it's coming back. Start hitting us with stories. We are ready to get duking it out about that lineup. 
And um, thanks for supporting Show Your Work. Thank you for showing your work by yelling at us, disagreeing with us. We always welcome the conversation, the conflict, the tension. All of that is important. Especially on this topic. Keep telling us what you think and other things you want to talk about and hear about as this craziness continues to unfold. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.